Consult is a monthly podcast about software developers who work on Apple platforms to create client products. Join us each month as we talk business, Swift, Objective-C, contracts, App Store, and all things Apple. I'm your host, David Kopeck. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the November 2016 episode of Consult. It's so good to be back. I'm sorry that we've missed you for a couple months. I moved to Vermont. I had um, a little bit of trouble finding having with some guests. I had some guests say they were going to do the show. We never really properly connected. I had some guests say no, which was the first time since I really started the podcast a year and a half ago. So I do want to reach out to the community. If you know somebody who you think would be great on Consult, let me know. I'm at Dave Kopeck on Twitter, D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. And please leave us a review on iTunes. Please like us on Overcast. It really helps with the show's popularity. My interview this month is with J.P. Samard of Realm. Y'all know Realm, the popular open source mobile database that's really starting to take on core data. So we really dig into the details of Realm. And we also get into JP's career before that as an iOS consultant. So I think it's a really great episode that you're really, really going to enjoy. So without further ado, here's my interview with JP Samard. So my guest today is JP Samard. A lot of you probably know him from the open source community. He's also the iOS lead over at Realm. JP, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your background. Take us way back. How did you first get into computing? I know you had a consulting company for a number of years, so tell us about that too. Right. So going way back for me doesn't actually go back all that far. Um, I guess my first uh, really intro into kind of programming was really in university. I was taking electrical engineering, and I was honestly pretty fed up with the very long project cycles. You know, you send something over to Fab and uh, or you do simulations, and essentially every project either takes you know something on the scale of months or years. Uh, if you look at commercial projects, and uh, that just wasn't very exciting for me, and so I ended up uh, kind of building this um, technology that was linked to electrical engineering. And then I wanted to build an app around it, uh, and so um, started programming, try to figure out how do you actually do that. And, uh, and then I realized that I actually had to pay the bills. <laughs> and so, um, I kind of went around, uh, a few, a few different, um, festivals actually in my hometown in Ottawa, Canada. And, uh, I, I tried to pitch them, um, making an app, uh, even though I had never done it before. And, uh, eventually one of them stuck and, um, uh, ended up having to build an app for them. This was, uh, 2011, right when I was getting started and uh, kind of got by right by the skin of my teeth, you know, um, managed to patch together just enough of an app and interface builder to kind of satisfy the contract and, and kind of move on. And I kind of continued with that process, just kind of going door to door, asking friends, uh, uh, acquaintances, trying to figure out who needed an app and kind of say that I could build it without ever having anything close to it. Right. But um, over time, you know, ended up uh, actually you know, fulfilling those contracts, um, then having more contracts, growing that team. Uh, and essentially that became a business um, that was initially spawned by this idea of just kind of scratching my own itch, making my own app, uh, and ultimately never ended up building that app, but did grow kind of that agency, um, something called Magnetic Bear Studios. 
into uh, a small team, a few developers, a few designers, and uh, just eventually making apps for kind of all sorts of companies um, really across the across North America. And uh, and at that point, I was really hooked uh, into programming. There was no escape. Very interesting. Now, tell us a little bit about the Iowa scene in Canada and in Ottawa more specifically. I actually lived for Ottawa for a year when I was a little kid, but I know nothing about the Iowa scene there. What's huh. it like? It's uh, I love it just because it's a very tight knit community. Um, you know, now living in Silicon Valley, living in San Francisco, uh, there's definitely a lot of people in the community here. But, uh, you know, you tend to go to meetups and there's tons of them to start off with, you know, and they're actually competing in some sense where they're competing for kind of the market share of, uh, of local developers. And not only that, but you, you tend to have such large groups or groups that, with kind of members that pop in and out every now and again um, that it's not it, – there's a really big difference between that and, say, the uh, – specifically the Apple developer community in mm-hmm. uh, a smallish city like Ottawa where um, you have essentially people who are really ingrained in the community. It's a very small, tight-knit group, you know, kind of a group of maybe 20, 30 really hardcore people We've been doing like Mac programming since the 90s for some of them, you know, <laughs> Wow. Uh, really been ingrained in, in the industry. And, and so that's that's really interesting in comparison because there are so few of them there, relatively speaking, you know, compared to a major hub uh, like New York City or London or San Francisco that you really do have to stick together. Um, and so it's, you know, very regular meetings for, for groups like Cocoa Heads, for example. Um, and it's really just people who are keen on sharing ideas and uh, sharing um, what they learn on a very regular basis and, and really keeping in touch. So um, really interesting dynamic. Um, I certainly miss it in a lot of ways. Uh, but, um, you know, it's uh, I, I like being nostalgic every now and again and, and thinking back to those days. But, you know, you've got people specifically in Ottawa, you know, um, if you've kept up with the scene at all in the last few years, there's this conference called NS North that's right. run by uh, Philippe Casquerin and um, and Dan Byers and some great people. Um, and so they're able to kind of attract people from all around the world to come to this conference because, one, they're so passionate about it. Two, they've been doing it for decades at this point, and uh, the community is really small but strong. Right. I've always heard tremendous things about NS North and, and what a great experience it is for the attendees. Uh, when you were at Magnetic Bear Studios and running that, uh, were you having mostly local clients or were the clients from all across Canada and the United States? Yeah, for the most part, they were local clients. Um, we did have you know a handful of uh, clients towards the end, especially when we were growing and kind of making a name for ourselves. Um, that were everywhere from Silicon Valley to you know west coast of Canada to east coast of Canada, um, but uh, ultimately you know what kind of led to uh, the end of the Magnetic Bear Studios agency was was really kind of my own limitations. Uh, at that point, you know I was running this business that I had no idea uh, how to run, you know, and it was mostly um, mostly focused on kind of hustling and uh, uh, doing uh, doing sales, doing business development, um, doing like everything from accounting to, uh, you know, basically everything that falls into managing a small business. And ultimately, um, not only was I not very good at that, I also didn't really like it. So, 
um, kind of all of that kind of led to the conclusion that uh, towards the end of, of that kind of three and a half year stint, I was really looking for something a little bit more technical to sink my teeth into. And, uh, and that's where I joined Realm. Right. So I want to get more into Realm, but still talking about Magnetic Bear Studios, what was it like building out that team in Canada? Was there enough iOS local, develop, uh, local talent there? What's the supply and demand like for iOS labor in Canada? Well, you know, answering that in the present tense is really different than, uh, you know, the, the landscape as it uh, was in mm-hmm. 2011, 2012, 2013 when I was really doing this stuff. Um, so back then, you know, people were still riding the, the mobile wave as the hot new thing. You know, uh, today you look at buzzwords um, and, and they've, they've kind of shifted, uh, right? So even though mobile is now kind of a concrete part of a lot of businesses' strategies, back in 2011, 2012, People knew it was going to be big, um, and it was already kind of established at that point. You know, the iPhone had been out for like, um, you know, three, four years at that point. But um, so it was already established, but companies still hadn't fully caught up and, say, had their own in-house teams. Right. Right. So we were really at a good point and got really lucky, to be perfectly honest, and, and that's probably why the company survived at all, um, was that we were just kind of riding that wave. If you look at if I was trying to do the same thing today, um, really kind of starting from scratch like that, uh, basically no knowledge of the industry, um, it would be a lot harder to try to replicate that. Mostly because um, at this point, a lot of the companies that used to hire, you know, the Magnetic Bear Studios or agencies in general, especially small agencies, uh, now tend to have their own kind of in-house group of, uh, of developers and designers who can kind of uh, lead their mobile effort. It's no longer a fad. It's no longer uh, hype, really. It's it's um, it's just like the web was five years ago, you know, where it's expected that if you're going, if you have some sort of electronic presence, um, that uh, you definitely need a mobile strategy of some sorts. And so now the landscape has certainly shifted. Right. That that makes absolute sense. What was your key takeaway in terms of challenges of running an iOS consultancy during those three and a half years? Um, well, so trying to put myself back in, in those shoes from a few years ago, which is becoming increasingly uh, hard to do, but I recall kind of some of the, some of the challenges or, or at least some of the things that I used to, uh, at least internally complain about, you know, um, one of the things that comes to mind is that even in 2011, 2012, I thought I was too late. In terms mm. of kind of writing that hype and wave for mobile, um, there were a handful of agencies that had uh, that had um, propped up um, basically around the world, you know, so even small agencies. Basically, w- what I was trying to do, uh, even a few years before that, mm-hmm. and so um, I was finding myself not competing with the you know teen and lax of the world, but rather the kind of smaller, maybe three, four year old um, small agencies that had uh, basically done what I was doing at that point, but it started in like two or three years before. Uh, um, so that was actually pretty tough. Uh, and I can only imagine someone trying to do the same thing today right. would have a much harder job of actually trying to pull that off. So in retrospect, um, you know, although I, I, I was doing that not at the very earliest time and maybe not at the perfect opportunistic time, uh, the conditions were still really quite good to, to pull that off. You look at the landscape now, and not just in, in agencies, but just in mobile, uh, mobile development in general, 
and uh, the race to the bottom is really won. You know, very few people can make a living off of uh, apps on the App Store. Right. And strategies have completely shifted towards either subscription-based or in-app purchases. Um, but ultimately, you know, we were already starting to see that trend uh, three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. When um, and and that's one of the reasons why I uh, essentially grew a company as uh, as a contractor and as an agency rather than as a company developing apps directly for the app store. Makes sense. Because uh, in a sense, you know, a lot of these companies that were hiring us uh, knew they needed a mobile presence, but didn't know exactly how to monetize it and probably wouldn't have been able to in a very good way anyway. Uh, so it really was really the only way to kind of bootstrap a company um, from from the ground up was to uh, kind of get people who were willing to invest because end users of applications weren't necessarily ready even at that point. So tell us how you ended up at Realm and tell us a little bit about your role at Realm. Right. So um, 2013, 2014, uh, you know, we were starting to see the limits of uh, Magnetic Bear Studios and growing that as an agency. Um, you know, I was really lucky to have some very talented people, but ultimately, um, you know, they were also, you know, all the people in my team still had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit and um, building apps as an agency kind of tends to wear you down or it's not exactly for everyone, even though I, I do kind of look back fondly on those days where, uh, you know, we could have a wide variety of projects on an ongoing basis, you know, it really kept you on your toes and kept you interested. Um, but ultimately, towards the end, like I mentioned, I was more doing more of the business side of things, and I, A, wasn't very good at it, and B, uh, didn't enjoy it. So I was looking to get back more into into a technical role, and um, that's where I kind of saw that uh, that this stealth company in Silicon Valley was hiring. And uh, if if you know me at all, especially in those days, those those kinds of words were really a big turnoff. You know, VC-funded, stealth company. Back then, I was really all about, um, uh, you know, bootstrapping a company, you know, creating um, value right from day one rather than the promise of value for uh, for an investor. Right. But ultimately, the closer I looked at, uh, at this company, who essentially didn't even broadcast their name at this point, um, you know, the more I actually... Uh, appreciated that um, different different types of companies, different kinds of products require different types of business models and um, even just bootstrapping process where you look at uh, a database that needs to be built from the bottom up and basically your minimum viable product there is a fully acid compliant database. You know, you can't really just build half a database and release it onto the world, you know. Right. Um, and so there's a really, a, if you're going to disrupt a technological space like that, that needs a, like several years and, and a small team at least of upfront investment before you can actually start to monetize a product out of it, then venture capital or, or investment-based strategy is really kind of the only way unless you kind of take more of a side project approach to building something like that. But, um, you know, to be honest, I, I don't really think that that would have worked with such a core fundamental technology as a database. Mm-hmm. And so I really kind of appreciated and, uh, and respected the approach that, uh, that Realm took at the time. Uh, and, and so I was, you know, chatting with the founders. And um, at that point, they had been building Realm's underlying storage engine for, for the past uh, three years. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Yeah, so basically starting uh, summer 2011, going through Y Combinator, that's where they were really starting out. Um, they, they had this concept of kind of modernizing uh, database engines, especially for embedded databases, in a way that um, that really didn't make sense 15 years ago when when SQLite was developed. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, if anyone's been in in the mobile development industry or even the embedded space uh, in in the last decade and a half, they know that you know, SQLite is a very robust type of software. But it didn't always start off that way. You know, it kind of needed to um, to grow into that level of stability. Uh, but also, it was designed at a time when, um, you know, we didn't have the smartphone revolution as we know it today. You know, we didn't exactly have uh, iPhones or Android phones or um, even just this concept of, uh, you know, model-oriented or object-oriented um, object-relational re- mapping uh, libraries, right? right. So you look, at, uh, you look at core data. I mean, you had web objects and stuff, but not so much in the embedded space. And so you look at... Uh, and then core data kind of coming along, and um, you know the the genesis there really had the right ideas where it was like let's build um, something that's object oriented because that's how we want people to write software, uh, not this kind of table and row and um, kind of snapshot based uh, system where you essentially query some external thing to ask what its state is, and then you go and translate that. You know, if you actually have a system like an ORM that can keep that in sync with the models and the objects that um, that are really integral to object-oriented programming, then you're really kind of blurring the lines. And, and at that point, persistence and um, more database-type concepts like ACID compliance then becomes more of an implementation detail. Right, and right, so okay. you know, you look at the progression of, of technology in uh, you know the '90s, the early 2000s, even the late 2000s, and um, people really built amazing things on top of the fundamental technologies that they had. But then you get to you know 20, 2010, 2011, and you really reach a tipping point there where uh, you're starting to stretch the um, the useful space in which those technologies designed 10 years ago really start to apply and, and, and some of these concepts start to break down. You know, you, you start to have uh, ARM-based chips that are really prolific. You have SSDs, you have um, vectorized operations and CPUs. And th- these are all things that, you know, if you were designing a low-level uh, database today, you would really want to take advantage of those things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's kind of hard to take this um, this kind of older system that's been battle tested, made very robust over the course of a long set of years, you know, five, ten years, and then say, okay, well, let's re-architect this. Right, right. <laughs> because no matter what, at that point, you know, basically anything you touch um, has an impact on the memory layout, uh, has an impact on small things that when you consider the scope of how wide its distribution is, you really start to realize that it'll have very strong knock-on effects, that it's very likely that it'll break something somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of put in this impossible situation where you can't innovate without breaking things, but people rely on these foundational technologies um, to, to be robust before anything else, You know, robustness over feature completeness, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where um, kind of throwing out that concept, basically starting from scratch, really comes in handy, where you you can consider some of the research that was done in modern times about multi-version concurrency control, about uh, copy-on-write semantics, about making the most of SSDs and modern components and modern computing architecture, and really build something from scratch. And, and that's what Realm did. And that's what ultimately drew me o- over to them was kind of this this promise of um, kind of starting fresh. If we were to build something, a database for you know the 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 smartphone revolution era, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's yeah that's that's what really got me in. And what's your role at Realm today? My role today is uh, essentially leading the um, Apple software teams. So. Uh, really, we have kind of two core products there, and, and these are our kind of user-facing products. Those are Realm Objective-C and Realm Swift. Um, so I kind of lead the team that, that's responsible for building those. But ultimately, um, you know, the, the kinds of work that we do that our team does, which is about, you know, seven or eight people at this point, uh, spans everything from um, writing cross-platform, low-level functionality uh, even at the core database level, mm-hmm. uh, that can be used for for other products like Realm Java or um, React Native .NET. Um, so it spans from that to uh, doing you know, specifically Objective C and Swift stuff, or um, even the Realm browser, which is a Mac app that we have, uh, to doing documentation, um, tests, sample apps, uh, tutorials. Mm-hmm. Uh, Community outreach as well, because we we don't have uh, kind of any pure uh, realm evangelists in the company. We really just have the engineers that are working on the product. Right. And, I've seen talks that realm has done, and you're actually the one leading the talks. Right. Exactly. So give us the elevator pitch for realm. So if I'm an iOS developer and I'm looking at my options in terms of data store, why should I pick realm? Right. So the main thing that we strive for there is simplicity. And simplicity on on so many levels, right? You look at a system like a traditional ORM, and there's so much intermediate state that needs to be maintained uh, to to, to just kind of keep both sides of the the object side and the relational side in sync. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get things where, um, you know, that's where you start to introduce faults, you know, where you're accessing something on one thread and uh, another thread was mutating it, but because of the shared m- global mutable state that's in common there, um, halfway through an operation, you actually just hit a fault and say, well, you know, another thread deleted an object in a completely different uh, context, and, uh, and I'm suffering the consequences there. So, you know, simplicity at that level, right? So everything from the most foundational layers up, uh, mm-hmm. where if you lose this object relational mapping and it's just objects the whole way down, well, that simplicity translates into an easier way to reason about what's happening under the hood. It translates to um, uh, performance as well because you're doing less work. It translates to uh, safety because when the very lowest levels are built with that concurrency in mind, then you don't need to kind of have multiple layers where you need to ensure that that, that 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 safety is preserved, right? If it's mm-hmm. actually just kept as simple as possible. So there's simplicity on that end, right, of the foundational technologies. And there's also simplicity in terms of uh, usage in the API, right? So 
um, one of the things that we really strive for more than you know feature completeness or even uh, performance is uh, ease of use and maintainability because you know initially when we released realm objective C which was our first public product um, we had one idea of what uh, the developer community was looking for, and then they responded with something uh, not exactly completely different, but but it did surprise us, where initially we thought um, that uh, speed was actually a very important factor. Mm-hmm. And after talking to a lot of developers, a lot of them, um, you know, if it's fast enough, that's all that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so as long as they can have their UI table view that scrolls at 60 frames a second, uh, they're happy, right? So it doesn't really matter if you can perform this complex object uh, graph type query uh, where you're traversing many object graphs in a fraction of the time that it would take you with an ORM. That doesn't matter as much uh, for the vast majority of developers. And another thing that we, that we found is that a lot of the pain points, um, like performance, that people tend to experience with kind of traditional solutions, people tend to internalize that where it's just part of normal development and you don't exactly remember exactly, you know, how much effort it was to, to get things just working within a reasonable time frame. And so we found out that um, performance as such wasn't an end goal for most people, that it was actually more simplicity, maintainability, um, and uh, and just the ability to, to have code that, that lasts uh, for, for a long time that doesn't need to be constantly updated. That's very interesting because that is a complaint of many new iOS devs is why is core data so complicated? Is it fair to say that Realm is competing with core data? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it depends uh, from what angle you look at it, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, so Realm is definitely uh, an, an object data layer, right? And you can consider... Um, core data to be very similar in that sense. And the types of things that you would do with, with core data, Realm is really uh, kind of a suitable replacement. You know, mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's actually kind of design decisions that we've done to make sure that, uh, that people migrating from core data to Realm have an easy path there. But um, ultimately, I'd say, especially in recent, uh, in recent weeks, really, uh, ever since Realm launched the Realm mobile platform, um, core data starts to really be more of kind of a subset in in competition to Realm rather than uh, an exact kind of competitor, if you will, where the Realm mobile platform is really, uh, well, you can look at it as sync, right? It's data synchronization mm-hmm. between devices, uh, between servers. But really, if you kind of peel back the layers, it's a lot more than that. You know, you look at apps today, um, and a lot of the complexity goes into uh, things like parsing JSON, doing network requests, doing caching, knowing when to pull, when to push, when to cache, when to invalidate a cache, what parts of that cache to invalidate, etc. And so you look at all of that cruft, and if there was a way to really kind of uh, cut down on a lot of that complexity app developers would really be able to focus a lot more on the kinds of value that they want to add in their app, on the kinds of functionality that really sets them apart from the competition, compared to just kind of doing all of this boilerplate stuff that has such a high investment cost, and also so many ways in which things can go wrong, right? You, you consider a traditional 
kind of application that uses um, HTTP REST APIs and uh, JSON serialization and a caching layer. Mm-hmm. And you look at a round trip between kind of keeping uh, data that's on the server, which is typically the canonical source of truth, uh, in sync with at least what the application presents the user, right? And there's so much cruft that needs to go into that that if there was a way to cut down on that, uh, you would really drastically simplify the way that people build that build apps today. And so, in a sense, Realm isn't exactly competing with any one thing. We're really trying to upset the status quo so that you can drastically simplify your apps, make them a lot more robust, uh, while adding things like real-time functionality um, with very minimal effort. You know, that that's really kind of the approach that we're taking. Now, while performance is not your number one goal, simplicity is, how does Realm perform relative to core data? Are there any areas where core data outperforms it? Yeah, there certainly are. Um, there are fewer and fewer. And ultimately, our mantra is to um, be you know, within the same ballpark as, as SQLite uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, you know, when, when it comes to benchmarks, you know, one of the reasons why we've stopped producing benchmarks, at least externally, is because you can always make them look good for you or for your use case, right? Um, if you kind of set the right, the right size of your right transaction or the right amount of uh, concurrency um, competition that's happening, you can make w- one product look much better than the other. And, and we can essentially tweak those numbers uh, to make basically any product look better than, than the rest of its competition. So um, ultimately, we, uh, very stru- we, we really do take performance very seriously. And we have a number of performance tests that we uh, will at least make sure that we don't regress on a lot of kind of key metrics or, or key operations. Um, but uh, you know, ultimately, I'd, I'd really leave that to um, the end user to determine for themselves if uh, for their use case, um, you know, Core Data, SQLite, or Realm is much faster than anything else. What I will say is that um, we really do strive to kind of hit a sweet spot uh, where we can be as performant, if not more, than SQLite, Core Data for the vast majority of types of architectures that uh, mobile developers tend to use these days. But um, you know, I, I, I'd stop short from saying that uh, any one product is considerably faster than anything else. You even look at Core Data and some of the things that it does is actually faster than raw SQLite, uh, depending on the type of operation you're doing, right? So um, I'd really leave that up to, uh, to end users to determine for themselves. Realm is on several different platforms. Is there a use case for Realm on the back end? So if you have a web app, would you ever use, on the back end of a web app, sorry, I meant to add that part. Is Realm ever used as, as a web backend as well? Yeah, it certainly is, um, you know, in, in several ways, right? So one is in the same way as MySQL or Postgres or even SQLite mm-hmm. uh, can be used in, in, in server circumstances, right? Where uh, you need a transactional asset database, uh, Realm, Realm kind of fits the bill there. Um, and then there's another... There's another angle to this, and, and this is probably the more um, the more common one, and that's with the Realm mobile platform. You know, you having a database on the server side that can communicate and coordinate with uh, with remote clients to facilitate things like synchronization and um, even things like event handling. Uh, that's really kind of a much stronger use case. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you know, Realm on the server is still kind of in its early days, at least. Uh, 
um, at least from a product standpoint, uh, I wouldn't say from a technological standpoint, but from a product standpoint, for sure, where um, the only kind of official language SDK that we provide uh, really for the server is Node.js, mm-hmm. is JavaScript. Um, so you look at uh, the rest of our product line and you've got C Sharp for .NET, you've got Java for Android, you have Objective-C and Swift for Apple platforms, so that's iOS, uh, macOS, tvOS, and watchOS. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, none of those are really designed to run, uh, say, in a Linux infrastructure. Um, you know, right. the, the one product that we've specifically honed for that is uh, the, the Node.js SDK. The reason I asked the question is because Realm started as an embedded database for mobile devices, right? And it seems like over time the database is spreading its wings and becoming a more general purpose database. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, you could say that. Uh, another way to put it is that, um, you know, Realm really started with uh, the, the fundamentals of the fundamental building blocks of building a very robust uh, distributed database. Mm-hmm. And and so that's where um, you know the the whole transaction log comes into play, where we preserve the semantic intent of all the operations. Um, really comes in nicely when you have a distributed system, especially when um, you need really high uh, partitioning tolerance, where devices can be offline at any time, and you don't want the performance of the database to uh, to to take a hit for that, right? So right. if you're if you're in an intermittent uh, connectivity area, um, you know, which is basically all of mobile devices, all of mobile networks, because even as you're walking through a building, even as you're walking down the street, switching between cell towers, you have intermittent connection. The last thing that you want is for your kind of on-device performance to suffer. Um, and so, you know, since the very beginning, since the genesis of the project, we've kind of built everything in preparation for having a really robust distributed uh, system. And uh, I'm really excited that we can finally uh, actually offer that as a product now. Tell us more about that product. So the big announcement from Realm the last couple months is the Realm mobile platform. What is the Realm mobile platform uh, in short? So the the Realm mobile platform is essentially uh, exactly what you said. It's taking Realm on device and uh, making it spread its wings, right? So the mobile platform lets you do things like device-to-device synchronization, lets you do things like um, real-time collaboration, uh, data backup, um, collaboration. uh, So like if you wanted to build something uh, similar to Google Docs, right, Mm -hmm. where you have um, multiple users that have different permission levels that are concurrently accessing a document, making changes, uh, and having it all kind of resolve um, automatically. That's really those are really some of the main use cases that we've uh, we've honed the Realm Mobile platform to support. Um, but there's there's really a number of other things that you can do, right? So earlier I was saying if you wanted to cut down on the complexity of your local stack, right, you remove the necessity to do JSON serialization, uh, network requests, um, cache logic for invalidation and cache checking. If you wanted to do all of that, you could actually move a lot of the functionality from your app into the server. And then at that point, all the server really needs to do is to write objects to its local realm. And because of the way the Realm mobile platform works, that data is automatically available on the devices that have access to that realm. So you you can do things like 
you know, imagine you had um, an app that took a picture of a um, uh, of of a wine label and automatically gave you information about that wine bottle, mm-hmm. right? So what you could do is you could just write a local object in your local embedded database, local embedded realm on your device that um, the that basically just has the picture for that. And then because of the way sync works, the server would then very quickly have access to that information. It could listen to changes that are happening, see, oh, this device just added a picture. Let me do all of the kind of backend processing that I need to do, talk to several different servers. Some of them may be online, offline. Some of them may have high latency, whatever. Uh, but for the most part, because it's doing this work on a backend infrastructure, it typically has uh, you know, a much better internet connection. So it can do a lot of this work. Um, and then once the response comes back from whatever this server that was listening to this change did, it could just write the response to its local Realm object. And then the, the device would then see that change locally in its local data store. So you can really cut down on a lot of the complexity um, by kind of sharing, say you have a cross-platform app, you can share all of this business logic on the server where you don't need to duplicate it and rewrite it in Java or uh, Swift or whatever, right? While still maintaining, um, you know, all of the functionality. Is it fair to say that Realm is in the same category, uh, Realm, sorry, the Realm mobile platform is in the same category as something like CloudKit or what Parse was or Firebase? Yeah, there, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of overlap when you mention products like those. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really key differences. Um, you look at CloudKit, mm-hmm. and um, for for the bulk of what it offers, it it really is for the most part a key value store. Right. Um, you have things like uh, iCloud uh, document syncing, but that's really done more of on a very coarse grain document level. Um, then you look at something more like uh, more like Firebase. And um, the Firebase doesn't really have much in terms of persistence or database type operations. So you still need a solution for that locally on device. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get into you know other other differences such as um, uh, the the merge algorithm for one. You know uh, how do conflicting changes get resolved? And this is something that that Core Data with Core Data Sync tried to do uh, with its kind of ubiquity store, but um, Ultimately, there were a few kind of architectural challenges with getting that to work where by building that at an ORM level rather than at a database level, you lose the transaction log of the database. So you lose all of the fine grain operations that are done. Um, Whereas with Realm, if you actually build synchronization and, and, and merge conflict resolution from the very lowest levels up, you maintain that intent, that semantic intent of operations. So when you have things like um, a move or a rename or uh, substring operations, if you were doing that at a high level without access to a transaction log, you have no idea if a change happened because of a move, because of a modification. You can really just kind of apply heuristics and try to guess what actually happened and what the intent of the user was. But as soon as you have a moderately complex use case, and you really don't need to to look very far to get that, that system starts to break down. And that's where you get things like incorrect merges. Um, and so that's really kind of why Realm went and essentially reinvented uh, the the concept of 
of kind of an end-to-end database was to provide the fundamental tools to be able to do this efficiently and easily. So is, if we had to generalize, and I hate to do that, but I, I do want to a little bit here, uh, would it be fair to say that Realm is more robust than those other two solutions because it's an end-to-end solution? Um, I would certainly say so, but uh, you know, like you said, that's generalizing certainly, and um, depending on your use case, you know, you, you may not necessarily think so. Um, sure. You know, I'm I'm kind of hard pressed to think of anything specific right now, but you know, the last thing that I want to say is that this this hammer that we've built, which is Realm, you know, is uh, is a is a tool for all problems out there. Um, you know, the, the old adage, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Sure, you can do a lot with Realm, and, and it is built, you know, one of the reasons why we focused on on, on really the fundamental low-level uh, side of things was that it's easier to build um, flexible solutions on top of robust primitives rather than, say, have a really easy-to-use but super high-level wrapper that's a black box and that we don't expose kind of anything um, – below the uh, the very surface you know so that's can what i'd say uh-huh can, can developers install the realm mobile platform backend server on their own servers or do they need to go through realm no they they actually have to install it on their own servers we don't offer a hosted solution right now mm-hmm. so um you know this is both uh both a, a good thing and a bad thing you know because if you're looking to own your data right. if you're looking to um, have full flexibility in terms of how it's deployed how it's exposed uh, how it's maintained uh, then you know the the way that we currently offer the rumble platform is really ideal for you and this this tends to be what um, most large businesses tend to look for um, and so that's really kind of who we've uh, aimed to target from from the very beginning. Um, but then if you're looking for a hosted solution, we don't have, we don't offer anything right now. And we are really kind of keeping our finger on the pulse in terms of how, uh, enterprises are using us in their own deployments to be able to figure out, okay, well, is there a way that we can learn from this, um, to, uh, to maybe offer a fully hosted solution? But, but if that comes, it'll come, uh, it'll come later. It sounds like you're doing it in the right order. A lot of people felt very burned by what happened with parse last year. Um, or yeah. that was really the beginning of this year. Uh, and that led to a lot of consternation about having the data store itself be in, on someone else's hardware. So it sounds like you're, you're going about this in the right direction. Right. Yeah, well, we think so too, but uh, obviously that's that's more of a matter of opinion. You know, if you're a single-person developer, um, then uh, managing your own infrastructure on top of your app uh, might not necessarily be the answer that you're looking for. And, uh, you know, we completely understand that. But on the other hand, that's exactly why we chose to uh, fully open source the uh, local embedded database. Mm-hmm. So now if you're running Realm on your device, if you're not using Sync, you're using an entirely open source uh, solution. And so at that point, you know, there there are no shackles. There is no lock-in. Um, you know, you can do absolutely whatever you like. You can fork it and, and, uh, and modify it to your heart's content. And so we really hope that... Um, the kind of individual developers aren't taken aback by our lack of uh, kind of hosted solution offering. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, it also helps us really focus on um, on delivering the absolute best experience for the people who are willing to run this on their own infrastructure for now. And we can then apply those lessons uh, maybe later on when we're uh, ready to offer maybe a different type of product. But the future will tell, uh, the, the future will say there. 
Okay, so a bit of a cliffhanger. Maybe there will be a hosted solution in the future, but that's not yet determined. Is that is that what we're hearing? Well, we're not offering anything right now, and we mm-hmm. are focusing on on uh, self-hosted uh, solutions at this point. Okay, great. Uh, now that's a good segue talking about how Realm is op- the the main database is open source. Realm is very involved in the open source community. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. Um, well, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to join Realm in the first place is is really kind of this ethos of uh, contributing and uh, being. Uh, a participating member of the community, you know, where you'll see a lot of a lot of companies that are um, that are in this kind of space and the developer tools kind of space, they might um, you know sponsor a lot of conferences or they might uh, have booths uh, at trade shows and things like that. And although we do do that from time to time, really, we think that if we can be uh, a contributing member of the community, that not only does that help us to keep uh, better in touch with our user base, but it also helps um, users because uh, they can they can actually interact with us in, in a much more fluid way. Uh, and so that's why we've we've uh, been running the Swift Language User Group and hosting uh, those videos on our site. That's where with uh, with conferences, whenever possible, we'll um, provide kind of video recording and hosting and transcription services. Um, for free rather than necessarily just uh, asking them to put our logo on a banner and giving them money for it, you know, to actually be an active participant. So that's more on the community engagement side. And then on the open source side, um, you know, the, the high level SDKs uh, have been open source since day one, essentially. So Realm Objective-C, Realm Swift, Realm Java, uh, JavaScript, .NET, all of that's been open source. Um, and then, you know the the core engine uh, was closed source for for uh, for the first two years anyway of of our product, um, and you know there's there's a handful of reasons there, but ultimately, you know we want to be very transparent in terms of what our business model is and where you know Realm fits in not just as a community member but as uh, a company, and I think you know you mentioned um, some other companies earlier and how people got burned. Um, you know, if you're not fully clear about what your business model is, even though some people might not exactly be fully aligned uh, with those priorities, then you're really um, you it, it you're you're really not being transparent, right? And that really hurts um, people who are trying to build a business off of our products, off of our offerings. And so, in that sense, you know, keeping the core closed source uh, was really kind of an important message there, where you know, one, we certainly did need to kind of clean it up um, before it was uh, available to the public. But also, you know, that's where our intellect, our intellectual property was. Um, and so just being transparent about that was way more important than um, than than anything else. Right. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. I want to also talk a little bit about some of your open source projects, because that's how I became aware of you uh, well before this interview. Things like PeerKit, SourceKitten. Uh, tell us a little bit about them. Right. Um, so yeah, PureKit, SourceKit, and uh, those are, are really personal projects of mine. Um, and then there's a handful of uh, of kind of non-database-related pr- projects that we have open source, uh, Realm company projects, things, things like, like Swiftlint. Jazzy, right? Yeah, Jazzy, Swiftlint, uh, the Realm browser, which is a little closer to uh, to our product offerings. But if you look at um, at Jazzy, you know, Jazzy's an Objective C and Swift documentation generator. 
that really was birthed out of a necessity uh, for the company, really, to um, to have documentation for our own product, right? So mm-hmm. uh, two years ago, WWDC 2014, Swift was announced. And uh, this was actually really funny timing because this was right around the time that uh, we were gearing up to release Realm Objective-C. Uh-huh. And we said, you know what, <laughs> let's just wait a week uh, and see what happens at DubDub. And sure enough, you know, Apple announces this new language, uh, blindsides everyone, and uh, then we essentially gave, gave ourselves a week to support the language uh, and then and then released our product. Wow. Um, but ultimately, you know, building a product uh, that, that's birthed into this new language, you need documentation for that language. So that's that's where Jazzy came about. Um, it was for our own kind of business need to document our product. And ultimately, um, you know, it was a really fun project. I loved uh, hacking on that reverse engineering Xcode, reverse engineering source kit uh, back when it was closed source and try to figure out how to build um, a, a robust documentation generator um, because another option would have been to uh, kind of build a parser for Swift. But if you look at Swift's tumultuous history in the last two years. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah, <laughs> It would not have been fun at all. Um, where you know Swift is a much more complex language than Objective C, uh, where in Objective C you have very um, simple syntax. Really, I'm not saying that it's easier to learn at all, but from a parsing standpoint, it's a lot easier to parse Objective C than Swift. For yeah. one, you only ever ha- you know you don't have um, things like structs in language. Sure, there's there's C++ structs uh, and, and things like that, but Another another point is that you only ever have one level of nesting in Objective C, right? So you have classes and they can have properties, but you know you can't have a class within a class within a property, right? Uh, or a, a closure within a function within a class within, a, you know. Whereas Swift, you just have so much flexibility and, and so much complexity um, uh, uh, that that follows. That yeah, building a parser would have been a nightmare. And so the investment of reverse engineering Xcode and SourceKit seemed like a smarter choice. And in retrospect, I, I think it actually was. Uh, so there's Jazzy, and then there's SwiftLint, which is more of a linter for Swift that um, uh, that was really done more out of um, out of my own frustration that uh, people hadn't built one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I released, uh, I built SwiftLint essentially in a weekend uh, in, in May 2015 um, because I was giving a talk on uh, f- fixing the Swift tooling problem at UIConf in 2015. And I remember so- seeing that talk. It was very good, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, uh, yeah, so my point at, at that talk was really to say, um, sure, Swift is a new language and therefore has a lot of room for improvement, especially around tooling. Um, and also that we shouldn't necessarily have to rely on Apple to build that tooling. And so I'd been saying for, for a while that uh, using something like SourceKit or SourceKitten, that you could pretty easily build a linter, uh, because Apple has actually gone through the efforts of exposing a way for people to build tooling for Swift. And so I'd been saying that um, for for over a year that, at that point, saying, "Hey, someone should really just build a linter on top of SourceKit." And as I was writing the talk, as as anyone who's given a talk before, uh, you really want to procrastinate and do anything but. So <laughs> I ended up I ended up writing that on the plane just just to show that um, to kind of make my point from the talk that hey, 
we don't have to wait for Apple to build tooling. We can do it ourselves. And so, um, and so I, I built it then, and uh, it it really kind of exploded from there, mostly because um, no one else has, had really done it. And since then, there's some terrific formatters and linters that have come out. But I think the community really latched on to SwiftLint, uh, and and now it's it's a pretty actively used project. Yeah, Jazzy and SwiftLint are really fantastic projects, and I recommend everyone listening check them out. Uh, is there anything about Realm that we didn't cover that you really want developers to know about it? Ah, that's a good question. Um, I think we really touched on a lot, especially around the uh, the mobile platform. Um, one thing that that I really wish, and this is really on us at Realm to to do a better job of uh, of kind of talking about this, but um, there's a handful of limitations in Realm that, uh, albeit annoying, uh, are actually there for a very good reason. And it's not to say that they can't be lifted eventually, um, uh, j- just that there's a reason why, why they're there. So one thing that comes to mind is, um, is uh, thread confinement. So earlier you may have heard me say that Realm was a thread-safe database. And, and what I mean by that is that uh, transactions are isolated and uh, any changes that are being done by one thread or a different process or even a different device that's being synced won't affect your current consistent view of the database. And we do this via a number of different ways, multi-version concurrency control, um, snapshots, copy on a write. If you want to Google or Wikipedia those terms, I'm sure you'll, you'll learn a lot more than what I'd be able to, uh, to explain um, on the air here. <laughs> but uh, one of the side effects of this is because... Realm is an object graph database, and that um, one thread may be accessing uh, a different snapshot of the database than another, passing an object across a thread is actually very dangerous because um, what could happen is that as you're passing this object, say a person that has a child property, right, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a relationship or a link, um, what happens when... Um, the two different snapshots between those two threads have different values for that relationship or even different values between just kind of uh, scalar primitive properties like a string or an integer. Um, You get into a situation where uh, you may, you you don't want to have kind of a later snapshot, try to access an object from an earlier snapshot. You you really get into this, um, into this uh, dependency resolution state in which it's impossible to have a general solution. And so that's why uh, for safety, we just say every object is confined to its own thread. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's not necessarily done out of uh, just our inability to let you access the object from another thread. It's done so that people don't accidentally write unsafe code that expects uh, thing to be a certain way, and uh, and then their data just changes from under them. That being said, there are ways that we can actually kind of improve um, ways to work around this. Uh, but you're you're never actually just going to be able to freely pass data between threads or freely write data outside of a write, uh, outside of a write transaction, um, and that's due to uh, wanting transactional um, transactional mutations, right? Where you don't so you need to change two things uh, that if your app crashes halfway through, you don't end up in this inconsistent state, right? So there's a bunch of these limitations that uh, people love to complain about, and and they are annoying. I, I'm the first to admit that, uh, but that the solution isn't as simple as just kind of 
you know, giving people maybe the first thing, the first solution that would come to mind. Um, so we're working on solutions for a lot of these things, and and it's you know I uh, really just appreciate everyone's patience in understanding the the kind of complexity of the issues. Well, I really recommend everyone check out Realm. Uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you, and where can they follow you? Uh, so people can get in touch with Realm uh, via Twitter at Realm or Realm.io on on, on the interwebs. Um, uh, email us help at realm.io if you have uh, any questions or issues. And then for me personally, uh, I'm um, simjp s i m j p on Twitter, and then jp sim on everything else. GitHub. Um, <coughs> uh, is there anything else? <laughs> no, I think I think that that covers it. JP, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time, uh, and I hope that all of our listeners learned a lot about Realm. Dave, thank you for having me, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, this was this was helpful. Thanks for listening. As always, I welcome your feedback. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Dave Kopec, D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. Leave us a review on iTunes and recommend us to your friends on Overcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month on Consult.